0: We are coming strong with a recruiting only edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24 7. I am Jeff Howard. You know, I said we had a loaded show this week, a lot of Cedric Benson talk, had to talk some team stuff as we get closer to the Louisiana Tech game. So there was no time for my man, Mike Roach, Horns 24 7 recruiting editor. But as we sit here now, we had a speaking engagement in Dallas today. We've got one in crazy Fort Worth tonight. And I, I am sitting here in Tarrant County. And Mike's house at his kitchen table, uh, and we're going to talk recruiting. Mike, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me into your home, petting your dog, and I see your cat hanging out over there. So we, uh, it's good good surroundings as we get ready to talk recruiting.
1: You get a nice feel for my home office here, yeah, right. I think this is like the coolest week for me. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough because of you to be able to do the Texas X's Fort Worth luncheon or kickoff party or whatever. Uh, the last two years and that always feels like the finish line almost it's like okay now it's time for the season so there's always those benchmarks you hit during the year uh in summer it's like when the opening ends and Dave Campbell's comes in the mail that's like okay now we're starting to get ready and then fall practice starts up and this is kind of like the last check mark and then we're into game week so uh, I'm really excited for obviously for both college and, and high school so
0: before Mike and I dive deep into recruiting, and we'll talk Quentin Johnston this week. We'll talk Xavier Alford. We'll talk what's left for 2020. We've covered that the last few podcasts, but now that we're really getting down to the nitty gritty, we'll talk 2020. And Mike's been on the road since fall practices started. It, it, people have a problem with that. Fall practices were in August, and there's nothing fall about the weather in Texas, but. You might see some 21s and 22s that are of interest to Texas fans so we'll get to as much of that as we can before we get into that like i said let's get some things out of the way thank you guys so much for continuing to support longhorn blitz however you do it whether you're getting the straight feed at horns 24 7 if you're an apple podcast subscriber google play stitcher spotify however you're getting the show thank you so much for continuing to support the product don't forget to like us leave us a review five stars would be preferable but uh thank you guys so much for the continued support shout out to last stand hats those guys are doing great work over there mike and the crew i told uh, everybody on longhorn blitz with Mike recently, and uh, they've got big plans for this fall. So uh, get over to LastStandHats.com, and they'll they will uh, they'll take care of all your needs. And you'll see Mike out of tailgates and things like that. So a uh, big shout-out to Last Stand Hats. And don't forget, Longhorn Blitz is going to air twice weekly on 104.9 The Horn in Austin. You can stream that at hornfm.com or on the Horn app, which if you've got the app, uh, you can also get uh, the audio call Uh, for Texas football games with Craig Away, Roger Wallace, and Quan Cosby. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, and then Thursday night's right after Longhorn Weekly uh, with Tom Herman, uh, that will air, Longhorn Blitz will air. So plenty of ways for you to get the show and to stay locked in. And always get us in Horns 24-7. So, Mike, let's go ahead and get down to business. Uh, You know, we'll continue to take credit for the success Texas is enjoying on the recruiting trail, man, because once we launch this new version of the Blitz, uh, they haven't slowed down. 17 verbal commitments right now a couple last week let's go ahead and start with Xavier Alford because uh this is one that yeah, head-to-head win Tom Herman over Jimbo Fisher Texas fans obviously love that but I love the fact that Jason Washington and Craig Niver both continue to recruit guys that have some scheme versatility to them I look at Xavier Alford I look at Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford, even though Crawford's a corner, a corner who could play nickel, Thompson and Alfred have some nickel versatility to him. So man, there's, there's a lot to like, obviously, about this take, but man, this safety position just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And Tom Herman went head to head with Jimbo Fisher and won out to get this one.
1: Yeah, and I think when we talk about ceilings and floors on guys, a lot of times people like high ceilings. And I love high ceiling guys, obviously, but you can't, live and die with only taking high ceiling guys or only taking high floor guys i think you have to find a nice mix i think that alfred is more of a high floor guy um and when you mix him like when you put him up next to tyler owens they're completely different prospects i think that alfred's more of a finished product than than tyler owens i think if they were coming in in the same class it's likely alfred would get on the field earlier but i think you have to have that mix of guys and what's always stood out to me about Xavian is he's a good athlete uh, was a four six one guy, I think. At the maybe even ran the four fives at the opening. Uh, he plays a good all around game, but what's really always stood out to me with him is his knowledge of the game, his coverage ability. Uh, you know, I've I've always liked safeties who can who can align a defense from the back end, and I think that's what Alfred is. He's a field captain in the same way that uh, Caden Stearns was as well. Um, Alfred is a guy that during the spring I went out to see him at a at a workout and we were just kind of BS and talking about last season he was walking me through the Highland Park state game. He walked me through every coverage they were in and why they were changing coverages and he can call them on his own at the high school level, which is a really impressive thing to be able to do. He's just got such a good knowledge of of coverage principles. He understands how to play them. I don't think he plays too far above his ability uh when it comes to, you know, getting himself out of position and things like that. And I think that um Having that's obviously a very valuable thing. Then when you talk about scheme versatility, he's a guy who can play all three safety spots. He can play nickel or, or either you know field or or, uh, or boundary safety, and he's got a little bit of physicality to his game. Got some great ball skills. Uh, really, just a really solid all-around player.
0: Yeah, and I think the thing that's going to excite Texas fans a lot, you know, is the the head-to-head win over A&M. And you look in this cycle, and anytime we get to the finish line that's one of those kind of boxes you'd like to check if you're a fan of one of these programs. If you're Texas, it's how many guys did you beat a and for that they really wanted? How many guys did you get that Oklahoma really wanted? How many guys did you get, especially now that they've got the two-year home-at-home, home, how many guys did you get that LSU wanted? Uh, and when you start going down the list, Mike, I mean, he's won. Uh, Prince William and Malin, Vernon Broughton. I mean, there's you're starting to see the wins rack up for Tom Herman So take it from this standpoint, though. Is this something that you think is a sign to come, or are you a guy that just operates more, hey, this given cycle, the state's just going to Tom Herman?
1: I think it's more the latter. I think it's so different year to year. When you look at 2018, you know, Herman swept basically everybody who tried to come into the state against him. Uh, 2019, they obviously had a lot of failings in state and had to go out of state or find some secondary options. Um, 20, it's kind of – the balance has kind of swung back a little more. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, in 18, I think Herman got the new coach bump. In 19, I think Fisher got the new coach bump. And now I think you'll see it balance out a little bit more, you know, based on who's winning, um, what programs generating more momentum and excitement. Um, But, you know, I also think it's – there's something to the fact that I think coming in, you know, they – as much as I think Herman was probably as prepared for the job as he could have been recruiting at Houston and recruiting at Texas are two completely different animals. It's not in the same ballpark. I'm not even sure it's the same sport. Um, but you know, I think that they were behind when it came to 2019 and being early and to an extent 20, I think that they've caught up kind of with themselves, I think they're ahead of where they want to be in 21, obviously. And I think they're really making some progress in 22. So they're really getting to the point where they can start layering those classes over one another. And I think you can see that pay off in head-to-head.
0: I think part of that, too, is managing the recruiting cycle. And I think now that they've got you know, their heads wrapped around, okay, here's the December period, that 72-hour window, and here's what it means. I mean, Mike, on the record and, and your sources off the record – it's one of those deals where they, if if they had their druthers, they would be completely done with a class in December, like have everything wrapped up by the time you get to Christmas going into bowl season. Because the key for that is in terms of getting ahead in the next class, like let's say, you know, all spots are filled in theory in December, except maybe, maybe you got one or two pieces out there, kind of like, you know, best player available type scenario. Well, now if you're Tom Herman, when you go on the road in january your entire focus
1: is 21 and 22. Yeah, you can still do the the very almost presidential thing of visiting the school and uh, seeing the commits and, and making them feel good doing their in homes, but your your real focus is working on those 21 to 22s. You don't have those pivotal in homes, you know, that right. that that swing recruitments at the end of a cycle. If you're if you're wrapped up by that point in time, and I think one of the most underrated things about what Herman and his staff have done is in the two years of the early signing period, or as he calls it, just the signing period, they've done a really good job of having the majority of their class sign. I think over the last two cycles, 18, it was Keandre Coburn and Keontae Ingram who were the only two that didn't sign.
0: Yeah, and they, they made a push like Moro Ojimo was a the guy they right. went after late, and I'm sure there's one I'm missing.
1: Yeah, and they got Ojimo after that signing period, I believe. Um, God, they're all starting to run together for me. Daniel (laughs) Carson was the one
0: that was...
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. right. But I'm talking of the guys they have committed in the fall. Let's say midseason, guys they've got committed by midseason. Most, uh, 99% of those guys signed in December. Um, Happened again last year, you know, other than waiting out Javon Shepard and and identifying some JUCOs and some other options, you know. They had that class 99% wrapped up, and that's... Kind of an undervalued thing when you see other schools going through it because they're still having to recruit those guys through uh you know through late December and january when when Texas can really focus on the guys who are left on their board and getting a head start you know the the big thing they did this year was have that big uh, elite weekend in January where they brought in the twenty ones yeah. i don't know if that you're able to do that if you're still working on like seven or eight guys
0: not not if that weekend if you're if you're if you're having official visits and you've got, you know, three or four priority targets on campus, you're not.
1: Right. And so I think it all kind of builds upon it, itself. And, um, you know, like you said, managing that calendar and being able to get a lot of your work done early. And look, everybody, I think the past three cycles, they've started slow and everybody freaks out about it. And, you know, like I said, ask me late summer where we are and, and I'll tell you if you should freak out or not. And I think they're – even further ahead of track than they have been the last couple of cycles.
0: Let's talk about Alfred for a little bit specifically as far as his recruitment goes. And I think you laid it out perfectly him as a player. And I think that should excite you because just the way the safety position is changing now more than ever, you need that guy to be a quarterback of your defense. Caden Stearns is that guy for Texas. We've seen Brandon Jones kind of do that. I think more so Stearns and then Alford uh, will be that guy. I think even over a guy like, like Tyler Owens or Chris Adamore. you know, Adam Moore is more of a, a nickel guy anyway. And then Owen's just a freak athlete that if, you know, if, from what I've heard from camp, like if he ever really gets it figured out and puts it together, look the hell out. Uh, but Alfred, Mike, th- this recruitment, at different times it trended to LSU, at different times it trended to Alabama. At the end we saw it trending to AM. But from your reporting, from you know just reading the tea leaves the whole way, regardless of who was perceived to be in front, Texas always seemed to be the one school that – they might not have been on the surface the leader but they were right there with this top group.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an important trend to read in recruiting. It's, you can't ever put a hard and fast rule on something like it cuz we've seen so many things just randomly change. But I think in in most cases you look for who's consistent in those races over a stretch of time and you know, the consistent thing was Alfred told me in the spring uh you know, it's pretty much Texas and LSU and everybody else is playing for for a way distant third and you know, in the summer, then it was well. It's Alabama and Texas, and then it was Texas A and M and Texas. If you're consistently in that that group that that's being mentioned as leaders, I think it bodes really well for you, especially when things are changing so rapidly. Because if you're sticking in there when when things are changing rapidly, it means you're probably going to come out on top in the end. And uh, you know, I think that I think that A and M made some crucial errors in that recruitment. I think that they treated Alfred like he was a secondary target through most of the year. And in the summer, they came back to him and said, no, we promise you're our primary guy. You're the guy we've wanted all along. And um, I think he noticed that. And Craig Niver, you know, while juggling a lot of numbers and recruiting guys like Lathan Ransom and uh, Bryson Washington um, and Chris Thompson still made Alfred feel like he was a priority target, which he was for them. So, um, you know, I think that – uh, that that's a case that Texas doesn't always come out on the winning side of. You know, we've seen them come out more than often on the bad side of something like that. But um, in this case, I think they did a great job uh, doing that while A&M kind of fumbled it.
0: Yeah, so let's move on to Quentin Johnson. This is didn't really have anything to do with A&M the entire time. But before we get to the commitment to Texas, something that you mentioned on the board that I think is worth repeating and worth getting into one thing you see, and I'm a firm believer based on like who the head coach is, the position coach. Like if there's certain schools that offer a certain position, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Like, Anytime TCU offers somebody as a corner or a safety, I'm like, okay, if Gary Patterson thinks that kid can play DB, then that tells me a lot about that kid's future. But Quentin Johnston, like you look at the offer list, Mike, and it's not that impressive like you'd figure a top 75, 50 type kid in the country would have, but... There's a lot of offers he
1: just didn't report because he had, like, his core group of schools that he really liked. He rattled off for me when I went out there a couple weeks ago, like, who he hadn't reported. And it was some big names. I mean, it was – I think Nebraska, I think Ohio State had offered Michigan. Like, there were a lot of big names. He just didn't feel – he told me, he said, I didn't feel like I needed to report them. They weren't schools I was very interested in. He's like, I'm not real interested in playing the hype game, so why report them, um, you know, if it takes focus away from my team? Um He's like, I just didn't see the need to really play that game on Twitter. So, yeah, I think that that's always something important to remember. It goes, it cuts both ways. You know, there's kids who claim offers that don't have them, and there's kids that never report offers, and they've got a million of them. Um, and there's kids like Anthony Hines who report 96 offers, even if they're from Coastal Carolina. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, you know, it can go a bunch of different ways, but never take – I mean, we ch- we do our best to track offers and keep the database up to date and make sure that we're reflecting everything we can – but at the end of the day, we're beholden to the kid to announce that offer. And uh, so, yeah, never, never really uh, take it for granted that just because this kid doesn't have a billion offers doesn't mean he wasn't offered a billion times. And uh, Quentin is, is definitely, when you look at him talent-wise, you know, I think he's an easy target for the conspiracy theorists who say, well, he's got nothing in the way of offers, but he's ranked really high. Like, just go watch the film and look at his athletic traits, and you'll understand, um, you know, really why that is
0: first thing like the one thing in this industry that I'll never get over how just reckless it is and you're always going to get found out is if you're reporting offers you don't have you know like people are going to find out like Michigan and Ohio State and Oklahoma they really didn't offer you and I don't know why kids make it up but it's been happening since I started in the business it's still happening so whatever to each his own I guess but when I look at Quentin Johnston, like here's kind of what I see. I see a guy that a rare package of tools that you know six four and what a 190, 195, whatever he is, right? Six ten, six eleven high jump guy, got the vertical speed to play Z in this offense, which you know if they're offering a Z receiver that they feel like he's got the vertical speed to beat somebody deep. So you tie all that together. I think he is the most athletic wide receiver. Texas has recruited since Roy Williams. Now, does that mean he's going to be Roy Williams? No, but I think that's how rare it is to see a guy at 6'4", almost 200 pounds, to be like a bouncy, springy athlete like he is. The question for me, and I don't know where you stand on this with him, is his hands. If the hands are there consistently, then I don't think saying he's a poor man's Roy Williams is any kind of knock on him at all. I think that's kind of his ceiling. The floor, to me, I think it's a little higher than most. I think if the hands aren't there consistently, then he's probably like a more bouncy, springy, fluid version of John Bird. Yeah. So that's kind of where I fall on Quentin Johnson. I don't know where you do.
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, you mentioned uh, my comp for him is is it, it's a high school comp because he hasn't played a down of college football yet, but I, I thought he's Dalen Wright. I mean, this was Dalen Wright last year. A big, fluid, strong athlete who could jump, who could run, but just didn't have a lot of fundamental game about him. Now I think he's a little more polished than Dalen was. Um, I think he has a little more ability to get off the line than Dalen did. But that was mine for him. But when you, when you said that, that you didn't think that, or you thought that he was the most athletic since Roy Williams, I tried to do a quick scan through my memory of of past Longhorn receivers. I would say that, and maybe I'm off. I don't remember. I don't know if you covered this guy or not. To me, I saw him in high school once or twice. So he just never put it together in college. Malcolm Williams was one of the bigger freaks I had ever seen.
0: Yeah, different different cat. Like Malcolm was more uh yeah, stiff as a bad word, but really more of a straight line player.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I just I, I have this image burned in my head of being at Texas Stadium and seeing him house this kickoff return against um God, I want to say it was like Southlake in their heyday. Just, I, It was one of the more freaky things I've ever seen. But he was a guy that kind of stood out to me. But, yeah, I mean, the hands, I think it is a legitimate concern. I don't think it is as big of a concern as people make it out to be, um, if that makes sense. So what I always say about Quentin is he kind of makes the, the difficult look very easy, and he kind of makes the easy look very difficult. Um, and how many receivers have we seen do that? You know, I mean, if – I think it's just it's sometimes it's concentration lapses. I don't think he has bad hands. I think it's, it's just lapses in concentration sometimes. Um, and if that's the case, like a guy like John Burt, I just don't think you're ever going to be able to fix that. There's just something with his hands that's not there. Whereas I think with Quentin, it's obvious if he can go climb the ladder and make a one-handed catch, like his hands work, you know, and he can do what he needs to do with them. Um,
0: Trust me, I co-host a podcast with Rod Babers. I, I know all about uh,
1: bad hands. What a shot. Uh,
0: and and Rod, Rod would admit he has bad hands. Anybody that listens to Blitz knows Rod will admit he has bad hands.
1: Well, here, let me take a, sh- a short tangent. Um, so Michael Huff, who is tied, I think, for the NCAA record in pick sixes. Um, I remember the, the, him making a run at that record in college. Uh, around his high school, there was a saying called Huff Hands because he had such bad hands. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't always translate. But, uh, yeah, so I think that it's just – it's more – You know, sometimes some mental lapses. And he's still very much coming along. The thing I really like about him talking to his coaches is the work ethic. So Coach Stewart at Temple told me that Quentin came and his dad came in after their sophomore year. And he said, frankly, Quentin wasn't a contributor his sophomore year. And they sat down and said, what do we really need to do to get to this level we want to be? And he told them, you know, I need you to do this. I need you to develop your body in this way. I need you to develop your work habits in this way. He said, Quentin said, all right, took notes and went out and did it. And that's why he is where he is. Um, He talked about his hyper focus, that he's one of the more hyper focused kids he's ever seen. And that when he's uh, doing football, he's all football. And then when football's over, he goes to basketball and basketball is the only thing in the world he focuses on. And then he goes to track and and high jumps, you know, damn near seven feet. So um, really to me, I think that's a kid. I, I always say with kids, if you're willing to put in the work, I think there's a lot of things that can be fixed. I think the biggest things that trip kids up is that um, they're not willing to put in the work and they can't develop those traits because they don't want to to put in the extra work to do it. So I think as long as that work ethic is there, it's it's um, something that can be fixed. So we've
0: covered Johnson. We've covered Alford. All right. So we've covered Quentin Johnson, covered Xavier and Alford. This podcast will be in production or maybe posted before the Joshua Eaton decision, Ty
1: Jordan, Mike, I guess could happen at any point, any point. Yeah. Um, I, I, Ty says he wants to go into the season. I think that that could happen. And I think it's likely something could happen before the season starts as well.
0: Okay. So let's assume the rest of the dominoes fall the way they're projected to go, right? Let's just look into the crystal ball—no pun intended. Uh, let's say Joshua Eaton's decision goes as expected, and he picks Texas. Let's say Ty Jordan at some point picks Texas, and you and I have talked about this. Like I think anytime you're you're trying to build a running back stable and not kind of freak out the the top end runner you've got committed. To me, this is an easy sell to Bijan Robinson because yes, Ty Jordan can play running back, but you're really recruiting him for that H position.
1: Yeah. And you find a guy who at least has the versatility and you can tell one, one thing and tell the, other. I mean, I, I hate to say it that way and sound like they're misleading, right. but you could tell Ty Jordan, yeah, of course you're a running back. And you could tell Bijan Robinson, oh he's a slot. I mean, it just kind of is what it is. And once they get to campus, it, it tends to work itself out. You know, I think that a funny thing is I was talking to, to somebody close to Ty and they, they said, well, I wish you Texas writers would stop writing that he's a complimentary back to, uh, to Bijan Robinson. Cause that's upsetting him. And it's not, it's upsetting the person I was talking to more than him. Um, and uh, I said, well, he is, when we write complimentary, it doesn't mean that he's secondary. It means that you don't want to recruit two guys with the same skill sets. And if you've got kind of a bigger power back, who's got some juice and you, and you get a, a smaller scat back type, who is a legit sub 10400 guy. They those two things complement each other very well. So, um I I just love his his versatility. The thing too is he is not just a scat back and that he's built like a little bowling ball. Um looks fan I saw him the other day. He's like at 180 182, 57 182, which is he's going to be able to drop pads, he's going to be hard to hit and he'll run up the middle. He'll he'll go between the tackles on you and uh, it creates some physical runs, so I think that you can do a little bit of everything with him. Also, probably the best pass catching back in the state.
0: Yeah, I think what you said, Mike, just to kind of cover your bases there, um, and not to say that there's anything you know deceptive or shady going on in the way Texas is approaching this, but you recruit Ty Jordan in theory to play H, but... If he's at age, and let's say you've got like a run of you know injuries, like knock on wood, like we've seen in camp right now with Keontae Ingram being on the shelf, Kirk Johnson's out. Well, then that's an easy move. You don't have to wonder. Well, what's our like right now for the staff? It's the the break glass in case of emergency plan as well. I guess you got to get Jake Smith some run. No, if if that happens now, you've got a guy in Ty Jordan. Great, move him to tailback and just keep rolling.
1: Yeah, and also you could do some two back stuff with them. Um, You know, getting more speed out on the field. I think the question we got this at lunch today in our lunch bunch meeting is how do you replace little Jordan Humphrey? Your answer was great. You don't, but what you can do is you could attack it a few different ways. And so by getting more speed on the field and being able to space the field out more, you give yourself a lot more options. And so, you know, I mean, if you're looking up and you've got. Jordan Whittington, who I don't know what any time speed he's ever had is, but he's obviously can run. Yeah. Um, Jake Smith, and you've got Ty Jordan, and you've got, uh, I guess Duvernay wouldn't be on the field. He's a senior this year, but you know what I mean? Kennedy Lewis, maybe, who's a sub 10,500 guy you're giving yourself a lot of options and you're really spreading the defense out there and you can, and that opens up the running game for the quarterback. It opens up the running game for the running back. It opens up uh, single coverage for maybe your outside guys. So um, you know, more versatility, more speed on the field is really how you can attack defenses. And I think it's really when you get down to it and we talk about, you know, Texas winning the conference is great, but they're going to have to figure out a way that they can consistently beat sec defenses because, of, or, or Clemson, um, that's how you beat those kind of defenses.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Whittington, I think you'll see him move around a little bit. Smith, uh, I would temper expectations, especially early in his true freshman year just on how much he'll be used in terms of, like, moving him around all over the field. But I agree with you 100%, man. I think you can be really dynamic and, you know, show one personnel group and, like, you can have Smith, Whittington, and hypothetically Ty Jordan on the field together and start in, like, a 20 personnel grouping and then you're in an empty set or you're showing 10 personnel and it doesn't it doesn't impact really anything you can do with that personnel grouping on the field it just makes your offense so much more diverse and anybody that listens to the blitz regularly knows we talk about it all the time you're venturing more and more into an era of positionless football and just trying to be more dynamic trying to be more wide open trying to create matchups guys like Ty Jordan is how you do it so but let's say Ty Jordan gets in the boat at some point Joshua Eaton the Friday decision happens and he's at Texas that that leaves Texas with 19 at that point you're probably down to what your last four maybe five spots in the class
1: yeah f- uh, yeah four to five I think uh you know and then we kind of know who those guys are, it's kind of a weird year and it will probably, something will happen in the fall and it'll be completely different board and, um, where there'll be more numbers and, but I'm really anticipating not doing a ton of work down the stretch, you know, um, because it seems like they've kind of got everybody done and we know who else is on the board. There's not, I don't feel like there's going to be anybody really pop up during the season that, that they're suddenly in the mix for, um, you think
0: linebacker could be one of those spots? Because I know, like, Josh White, the LSU commit, is a guy that's out there. But I could see Todd Orlando, like, just kind of monitoring some guys. And maybe maybe it's a Juco guy. I don't know. But maybe there's just something that pops up and he has to have. But I think, you know, looking at the depth chart, though, I mean, they're kind of in a good spot because it seems like they, they like what they've gotten out of Marcus Tillman. They like what they've gotten out of Juwan Mitchell. You only lose Jeffrey McCulloch, so maybe they don't take a linebacker. Like we talked about, maybe Jaden Hullaby ends up being your linebacker take. Cause I think he's still to be determined on where he ends up.
1: Yeah. I think linebacker is a position. I kind of think tight end is like, I, I could see something popping up at tight end, whether it be Juco or they just find a guy during the season that, that they end up liking and, and deciding to offer. But outside of those guys, you know, it's funny. The, the linebacker conversation is an argument I have on our board weekly because people are like, well, why aren't we taking more linebackers? And I, have you looked at the depth chart? I mean, they've taken plenty of numbers there over the last I didn't, I
0: didn't even mention David Benda. Uh if if you
1: if you get the Gabriel Floyd back, yeah. Caleb Johnson's there. Um, I mean there's there's bodies, there's numbers. So I think they would absolutely take Josh White. Um, but they're gonna have to work to flip him. And um I think I could see a scenario where Orlando has a, a list of names that he's looking for senior film on, and if if somebody checks the boxes, they get an offer, but in the end, I really think we kind of know who the board is. So, um, you know, with that's the case, you're looking at filling out the receiver group, and that's probably uh, JV and Hester and LV Bunkley Shelton. Um, maybe Jackson Smith uh Jigba joins that group. If Texas can make a little hay there and pull him away from Ohio State. Um, on the defensive line, Alfred Collins, probably the biggest target on the board uh, left. And then really after Eaton and, you know, maybe whatever you do at linebacker, it's kind of it. Yeah.
0: So, really, like we said, if if Eaton ends up in the fold, Ty Jordan ends up in the fold, uh, that's really, let's say, if 23 is the number, that leaves you with four spots. That's Alfred Collins, two receivers, and then either a linebacker or, like we said, I think, I think you always leave yourself room for if something comes along that just falls in your lap and it's too good to pass up, you know. I go back to the 2010 class where they were kind of debating on whether or not to take a receiver. And this just shows you, like, how some of these situations can end up really helping you in the end. And they're like, well, do we take a receiver? Do we have a number? And then it just so happened, like, it ends up, hey, if you can get Mike Davis on your campus, he's going to flip. And boom, it happened. And that ended up saving a receiver class that just was, at the end of the day, not – really good he had attrition and all kinds of different stuff happened Demarco marco ended up playing like nine positions other than wide receiver during his time at texas so yeah but that's that's the kind of stuff you're basically kind of best available mike are you surprised? like i know you were you've been very vocal that you expected kind of that sugar bowl bump to happen at some point Are you surprised that the wave was this strong, though, like where it was just this rush of commitments? It seemed like – and I know, like, I do think people tend to freak out way too much in April and May, but it just seemed like, man, we got like right after the 4th of July, and it was just boom all the way to the start of the season.
1: I think that I probably anticipated some of those decisions to come earlier in the year is what it was. And I think that just with the nature of recruiting, they got pushed back. And so – what happened was everybody, it's different every year. Sometimes guys all want to go in the spring. Sometimes they want to wait till the fall. It seemed like this year everybody wanted to get their decision out of the way in the summer. And so they took their visits. And really, for the most part, the guys they landed were guys I expected them to land or, or at least be a, a, fi- a finalist for. And so the bump you know, it it was very frustrating my first couple of months on the job, just not being able to report any good. News. I felt
0: I felt so bad because, like, you know, the conversations Mike and I would have. I'm like, dude, you're doing a good job. Like, you can't make these kids commit and just make up news,
1: right? And so it was, and it started off so good, right? Like getting, uh, you had Card, and then getting Par last fall, and Majors jumped in the in January, and then you got Garth, and it's like, all right, we've got. I mean, hell, how, when's the last time Texas built most of their offensive line class before April? Uh, done, done it in a smart
0: way, very rarely.
1: <laughs> right, you know what I mean? But the, at least under Herman and even under Strong, it seemed like they were chasing guys late into the fall to try to fill out an offensive line class. And so it felt good there, and then it just kind of screeched to a halt. But you know, Yeah, I mean, other
0: than other – than you go back to like that 16 offensive line class, right? Like other than Tope was what – Tope was in the spring, right? If I remember right, like an April-May deal. And, man, I think it was dry in the old line until Denzel Okafor, like right before Thanksgiving.
1: And that was the year that they filled out, like, their entire class on signing day, basically. Yeah, like
0: the Lance was later. Uh, Shackelford, like, was supposed to – Shackleford
1: supposed to enroll at K-State
0: and basically ends up taking an OV to Texas and, like, doesn't leave, just goes back and picks up his back and comes back and then – uh, the Patrick Hudson thing later that summer, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 been a different deal this cycle.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I I kind of expected a lot of those decisions earlier. They just came in the summer. The timing is is something hard to account for. Um Never asked me to 100% solidify like this is what a kid is going to do at this time because they're never on time for anything. You know, I mean, how many even just look at announcements? How many times have we been told a kid tweets like? Uh, This Friday, 2 p.m., and then it's, like, 2.45, and the video drops, you know. I tell my wife all the time, I'm in a business where I'm constantly being held hostage by 18-year-olds. We can't go to dinner because i got to wait on this list. Yeah,
0: it's uh, that, you know, from my time covering recruiting, and it just shows you how much it's changed in, like, you know, what was the last really full cycle? I did it probably, like, 13, I think, was probably the last full cycle. I was really engulfed in it. Uh, The recruiting video was not prevalent. In that cycle. So it's, it's just been one of those but like we said, I mean, usually when the video gets bumped back, usually that's a good thing for Texas.
1: Yeah. It has been this year for sure. Um, like was, was Chris Thompson's
0: on time or did he bump
1: that back? It was on time. See?
0: So if a kid is scheduled to announce and bumps it back and you hear from Mike that the video is still in the editing process, it's probably, it probably means good news is on the way.
1: Yeah. Right now, that seems to be the trend. Um, and so, I guess if i got to wait a little longer for it to be done, it's it's good news for Texas fans and better for my job and, and all of those sorts of things.
0: So, let's talk some 21s uh, and 22s before we get out of here, Mike. 21, uh, we've missed a couple of commitments because, gosh, everything just came so hard and so fast for that 20 class. Uh, but Billy Bowman's a guy that both of us like. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a slot, if he's a nickel, if he's a safety whatever he's just one of those guys that you take and you figure out the rest later I know you were at Denton Ryan uh, a few days ago what what are you, what's your take on Billy Bowman I don't know how much you took from seeing him practice but just the kind of kid Texas is getting the kind of players I, I Denton Ryan's one of those programs and I'm sure you saw you know coach Henning and that staff doing their thing and whether it was Joey Florence when he was running that program I like taking kids from Ryan because, to me, Ryan kids really – number one, they understand ball. You know they'll be well-coached. And two, they know how to work hard.
1: Yeah, it's it's such a almost – pro or I guess I wouldn't say pro program, but it almost resembles a college program. Man, they got three freaks on their team. Drew Sanders is – let me just take a tangent here. Drew Sanders is crazy. Like, I've always thought this kid – I mean, he was um, – we're now joined by my dog, who's being an a-hole um, on the podcast. Shout out to Winston. Um, Drew Sanders, when I first saw him, he was a quarterback, but he couldn't throw. But he was a big, like, six six, freaky athlete. And I've always thought, man, just put that guy on the edge and let him chase quarterbacks. And I think that's probably what Alabama will end up doing. But I saw him catching passes the other day, and he was just bullying tiny kids, moving really fluid. Uh, him, Jatavian Sanders, Billy Bowman, that's three really freaky kids. Um, I, I, at Ryan, a program known for having freaky kids, shout out, uh, my first ever recruit crush, uh, Ishiro Degu, who used to murder. Wow. Me. Class
0: of 2005. You're taking it back to the day, Mike.
1: I saw his film and it was the most beautiful violence I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was CTE for like five minutes <laughs> and I don't, I hate that he never worked out at Texas because I would have told you this guy's going to be a 10 year all pro. Uh, in the NFL. Yeah, if I remember right,
0: though, like Ishii's issues, I think at Texas, were just injury-related. It wasn't, you know, talent issues. It was just he couldn't, couldn't stay
1: healthy. Well, when you play his style of ball, that happens. But Billy is um, dynamic in that he's a slot guy who could take it um, for a touchdown at any time. <laughs> he can go deep uh, from the outside, but I really love him at safety. And Texas is really uh, short on safeties in 21 as of right now. I mean, obviously, there are going to be guys that emerge – This fall, that'll become new names and all that. But uh, for right now, the safety class looks pretty thin. And so I think Texas having him on board, um, I really love his upside It I think he's like offered and that he could play any of the safety positions or nickel.
0: I mean, and you look on offense, I mean, whether it's – I know Teddy Knox is a guy they like a lot. JoJo Earl is a name that you'll hear a lot. Man, the slot position in 21 in state gets pretty deep when you start going down the list.
1: That's a great point is that the H is loaded, which is probably what he would play if he was going to play offense, and safety is then. So if you've got a guy there that can play safety and you think his best upside is at safety, which I do, I, I see him being on the defensive side of the ball um especially you know feeling good about like guys like jojo earl and there's others out there i mean there's uh, this is probably the year that the h has been the most loaded i know herman really struggled to find guys in the first couple cycles outside of jake smith you know the first year was marred with uh uh i can't remember the kid's name justin watkins jeez yeah (laughs) and uh chasing Jalen Waddle and having Rondell Moore for a period of time. And it was just like, are there any slots in state, you know, the other than Jalen model? Um, and then, you know, last year, obviously they found Smith, which was great, but there weren't a lot of options there either. So this is the, and this year, not a ton of options. I mean, I don't know that they're going to sign a true age this year. Um, so really, you know, 21 is, is the year that it looks like there's a bounty of them. So, um, Again, when you recruit to that positional versatility and you recruit athletes who can play both ways and um, can legitimately play both ways. I mean, there's a lot of guys that I think schools take and then try to put them into a position because they think they can project there. Billy Bowman will play just about every down at safety and every down at receiver this year. Um, So he'll have the experience. He's done it for the last two years as well. Um, And really a guy that I think is going to help with um, Jatavian Sanders. In fact, here is a, a little nugget for the blitz
0: Ooh, we get a little, little insider nugget
1: and it's not going to be that insider but um because you'll see it before you hear it but uh i've received some information today that makes me feel very good about texas landing jatavian sanders in the near future so by the time you hear this there will probably be a crystal ball picking for jatavian sanders
0: hey keep an eye out for that um. Uh, no, that's good stuff, Mike. Let's. Uh, I know twenty ones. You've been on the road for a little bit. Uh, let's start with the Brockermeiers because I know you were at All Saints, and Tommy Brockermeyer and James Brockermeyer are obviously a hot topic. Anytime you talk about twenty one recruiting, it doesn't take long for somebody to "Well, what's going on with the Brockermeiers? Where are things at with the Brockermeiers? You were at All Saints. Uh, you got you've got pretty good information into this recruitment. I mean." Your take, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm putting words in your mouth, yes, if you're Texas, you can feel good about it, but it's not a slam dunk.
1: I don't know that if their last name wasn't Brockmire, that Texas would be in the picture. If I, if just the way they look at the process, because their process is, who really cares about offensive line? Which programs out there? Which is, you know, you look at the list of schools that they really like outside of Texas, and it's Iowa, it's Michigan. It's Alabama, it's Clemson, and it's Notre Dame, which are five schools that I would say really care about offensive line. They're schools that develop their offensive linemen into pros. Um, they're guys that that really just kind of breed success there, and I think that that's what they're looking for. Um, now, of course, because they are Myers Texas is always going to be in the picture. And I think Texas is in the lead. I, I don't I, People freak out if you tell them anything other than, mm-hmm. yeah, it's absolutely going to happen. But I want to – those guys are getting tired of people telling them that they're going to Texas because their names are Myers. I try to lay off of it um, because I don't want them to see me every time. And go okay, here comes Mike. He's going to ask us a bunch of questions about Texas. Right. Like I'll get them in there, but I'm trying to get a full scope view of this recruitment. Um, I think I've kind of engendered myself to the family pretty well that I've I've got some privileged information there, um, and so when I speak on it, I'm I'm speaking from a position of. Uh, hey, I'm hearing this from a lot of people who are very important to the decision process. And what I was told was and I, oh shit I said it on the board, so I'll say it here. I was told directly from their father, Blake Brockermeyer, who I'm sure won't be won't mind being quoted on this, um, that you know Clemson is a very a school that has they have a lot of interest in, and why wouldn't you? You know Alabama is a school that they have a lot of interest in, and why wouldn't you? Um, and that if both of those schools really get involved for James, um, it's going to get very interesting for Texas. And that's not to say that that it's a slam dunk either way. All I'm saying is don't pencil these two in just because of who they are and who their last name is. Um, I think that it's these guys are, are very individualistic. I think that Blake looks at it as it's their decision, and I think Blake wants what's best for them and their future and their NFL future. You know, if they're fortunate enough to make it to the next level. Now, that said, those guys are going to be at Texas just about as often as they can be. Um, and so I think that, like, they'll be there for the LSU game. They're actually – they have a game in Austin that Friday night. So if anybody's in town to see the LSU game and you want to see the Brockermeyers, they're playing Austin Regents the Friday night before – uh, the LSU game. Now,
0: Tom, Tommy's not playing, right, because the yeah, shoulder issue.
1: Yeah, that's right. I forgot to mention that. Tommy is, is injured and will probably miss a good portion of the season. Um, James will be playing, though. And so you can go see James against Austin Regents on that Friday night. Uh, but then they're going to stay in town overnight and uh, come see the game. Obviously, they got a brother there. They're like fourth-generation Longhorns or something. Like, there's a lot of advantages there. But, I, I, man, the thing I've learned this year, and here's an interesting idea I have. I'm going to write later in the year. I'm going to write an article on things I learned in my first full t- full year covering recruiting. And one of the things I've learned is kids really hate when you tell them where they're going to school forever. And uh, I think the myers are 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 there. They're tired of being told they're going to Texas, and the other schools don't matter. Yeah,
0: I, I've, I've seen that. I mean, it's not just Texas. I've seen it work, whether you're – you know, I think, honestly, Mike, I think, like, Casey Thompson got tired of hearing that, like, with Oklahoma. Like, and honestly – not to get too far off subject, like with Casey's recruitment, I remember the year he was at prime 21. I think you might've been out there that year. Um, you're watching different guys spin it. And cause Spencer Sanders was a guy that I, I was watching at the time. Cause Texas was still, he wasn't committed to Oklahoma state yet. Texas was still kind of in it at that point. Um, I watched Casey, but I'll be honest, like I didn't pay as much attention as I probably should. Cause me, like a lot of people at the time, like, oh, well, he's going to Oklahoma. So, but as it turned out, like that, that wasn't the plan. So, I mean, but you know what they say, and as my wife reminds me all the time, you you know what happens when you assume.
1: Exactly. And so I'm just saying that this is not going to be an easy, quick recruitment. That's just, uh, you know, and maybe if Texas was at a position where they were putting linemen in the league regularly, it would be an easy, quick recruitment. But frankly, like I said, if it, you know, viewing the factors that they're looking at, If they weren't Brockermeyers and didn't have a ton of ties to the school, I'm not sure Texas would be that highly considered. I do think, though,
0: if you're Texas and whether – I mean, look, the 2021 offensive line class in terms of top-head talent is as good as I can remember in the state in a really long time when you talk about Donovan Jackson, Tommy Brockermeyer, Savian Bird. uh, You throw Bryce Foster in there. you got Hayden Connor. I mean, you can go like seven, eight guys deep and still find a guy that in some years would probably be like a top six or seven guy in the state. I say that to say this, if you're the Myers and looking at Texas or anybody looking at Texas and kind of looking, okay, what program produces NFL offensive linemen, has Texas done that consistently? Obviously not. But I think now, finally, they've got the right combination of Tom Herman and this pro spread in an offensive system that you know is going to be there as long as he's there. You've got an offensive line coach and Herb Hand who, Mike, you've talked to guys that understand ball better than – either of us will, guys that have you know forgotten more ball than we know. Those types of guys speak highly about what Herb had in terms of he knows what he's doing. And take a shot, because I'm saying this again, the player development aspect and Yancey McKnight just being a complete game changer. like Those three aspects, Texas has a situation now that's more conducive to producing offensive linemen than they've had, I don't know, maybe since like the mid-2000s when it was kind of the right combination of zone read and really good talent and, you know, everything came together. They were able to redshirt some guys and the kind of the dominoes fell into place.
1: Yeah, and you look at a guy like Sam Cosme who if he continues on his trend, it's very possible he's a first or second round pick in, in two years. Um, you know, who else on that line? I think Shackelford will probably get a look in the NFL. I'm not sure he'll be highly drafted, but I think he's a guy that looks like he could maybe – Parker Braun. Parker Braun, I think, is a guy that's going to get some looks. Um, You know, maybe Junior I I, Of
0: of those guys, I think he's probably got the most potential, especially, you know, when you look at – because, I mean, as a Cowboys fan, as much as they've put into the offensive line, I kind of try to follow those trends as much as I can. And, you know, when teams are putting a premium on guys like Aaron Donald, in turn, you have to put a premium on centers and guards. So – I mean, I think we were seeing more guards now go in the first and second round than I can ever remember. Uh, so I think angela has got a chance there. I mean, Derek Kerstetter to me is a guy, Mike, that as he continues to physically develop, I think they're going to be a like smart kid, you know, started a bunch of games at Texas and can play. You know, he won't be a tackle at the next level, but can be a center guard swing guy. And you've got, you know, if you're fighting for a roster spot, that position flexibility helps out. So we say all that to say this, like if you're looking at the big picture for the Texas offensive line, and I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, it's finally at the point where you can legitimately say the arrow is pointing up and they've got some room to grow.
1: Yeah, and even, like, when Connor Williams was on the line, we all knew, like, okay, this kid's going to get – he'll be the one that breaks the Carterson. He'll go drafted high. But when you looked at the rest of that line, you couldn't say that, you know, who else on this line is going <laughs> to do that. And so um,
0: – Speaking of that, like, the 2016 offensive line, you know Ken Perkins just retired?
1: I saw that. Yeah, him and um, – Christian Westerman, retired in back-to-back days for the Bengals. What might have been? <laughs> that could have been – they could have been line mates, right? I can't remember when
0: – Yeah, because Westerman, Westerman was class of 11, uh, and then Perkins was 13.
1: Yeah, so I just – those names were blasts blast from the past. I kind of forgot. And I also saw like Trey Hopkins actually like got a starting job again somewhere, and I was just like, oh, wow, I totally forgot about his name as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, – like I said, you know, the – the trend is up and that's obviously good news. It's not probably going to be up quick enough to start swinging 21 guys if that's what they're interested in. But you know, luckily you have the ties and I think too many times like Texas has signed a lot of legacy kids. I'm not sure a lot of their legacy kids have ever been this highly rated as Tommy is. Whereas I think AM probably benefits more from some sort of legacy in their family um, than Texas has with higher rated kids. Um, and so you know, this is one where it's all right. Feel good about using uh, those those ties and those natural, um, you know, kind of advantages that you have, and, uh, and and go to work on that. I think in the end, I I would still be mildly surprised if Texas didn't win them both. But I'm I'm saying that it's not
0: a done deal. So, Mike, any other twenty ones? We haven't really talked Derek Harris Jr. as we get ready to wrap this thing up, uh, and just that twenty one class in general. Any thoughts on? Uh, Derek Harris, or is anything in 21 right now?
1: Um, Yeah, Derek Harris, we should give him his due. I mean, just a really good-looking prospect, well-built. Again, that's kind of going back to what I talked about with par and majors, is um, how cool is it to have a linebacker committed right now? And, like, a really good one, and probably, like, the best one in the state. Um, You know, that's just such a position that's been so bare for years that – Uh, You know, a lot of people, I think, project Derek to be a B-backer. I could see him fitting inside a rover, Mac, and I think he's got a lot of versatility to his game. Um, And I think that, like, the H position, uh, B-backer is strong in 21. There's a lot of candidates there. I think Jatavian Sanders could fit there. I think Landon Jackson maybe could fit there, depending on how he develops. Clayton Smith fits there. So they're going to have their shot with a lot of guys at that position. And um, so I think you can do a lot of versatile stuff with Derek Harris, Just a really mean, nasty player. And I just I kind of loved his attitude on the whole deal. He was like, I knew it was Texas. It was always going to be Texas. Why wait? You know, so um, there's a lot of those kids that that would have waited until, you know, September of next year to do that, even though – they kind of knew it was always going to be that school. So, um, just a really great kid, really cool to deal with so far. I don't know him extremely well. I've talked to him in person once or twice, and talked to him all the time offline. But um, really, uh, I think a, a good strong start to that defensive class in twenty one. With with that to this point has been all offense. And so, like I said, I think it's uh, I think you could see Jatavian Sanders join the the group this fall. Um, and, man, if they can – I always say this, it feels like we end every podcast this way, but, like, if they can win, it just it's going to keep rolling, you know, especially with the start that they have. So, um, you know, it's going to depend on the season. That LSU game will be huge. But, uh, yeah, so I, things are looking really good in 21. And, like I mentioned, I think they got a good jump at 22, especially with a guy like Jadarian Price, who was named the the top player in the state by twenty. 20- yeah,
0: now, now real quick, Price is a kid that – i i think it it running back usually is one of those positions where you can tell pretty early if a guy's gonna be something they offered him really early like this was a kid that the staff jumped out and am like whoa let's go ahead and put the offer on the table
1: they offered him very early and tom herman called and made the offer personally which when the, when their head coach told me that and that was back in the spring when like so they offered him on like a thursday i looked at a seven on seven qualifier and saw that they were going to be in like Colleyville on Saturday. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going out there to to see this kid. He doesn't answer the phone. He doesn't do Twitter really. So it's like, you have to like hammer that to get in good with him and to be where I want to be. He's got to see me early and often and know who I am when he sees me. So like, I wanted to go out there and make that, you know, introduction and uh, got to talking to his coach, Chad Rogers, one of the best uh, coaches in the state he um, used to coach at Snyder, actually, and coach Sonny Cumbie actually told me at that point in time, like Sonny Cumbie and TCU were hemming and hawing on offering him until until Texas offered. Um, and so I think that when he told me that day that, yeah, I said, so who made the offer? And he said, well, Coach Herman called and personally made it. Um, that really stuck out to me. That's one that I was like, OK, this is a kid that they really love. It's not like we're going to throw this offer out there early it's a kid that they really love, and the funny thing is, maybe this is just in my mind, but I can really tell who the staff likes when I tweet about him, and who on the staff likes my tweets. When I went out to Denison, the damn near the entire staff was liking every tweet I was putting out about him. Yeah. So they obviously love that kid. He's a again, a, a he's not a he. He may be a five star running back when he's a senior. He won't have the attitude of it unless recruiting totally changes him. But his, I don't think his coaches are going to let him, and he is a kid that doesn't really want to talk about recruiting. He's very much about his team, and, um, you know, he was. He said the coolest thing about the whole process was that he's going to have three years to be highly recruited, and that's going to get his teammates a lot of looks uh, from college coaches over the next three years when they come out to see him. You love a kid like that, and so getting in early for him, I think they've got him on campus twice since that time. Um, it's a long time until he decides, and there's a lot of factors, but – you know, getting that early start is good to see because there's a lot of times that we've sat and said, How come they haven't offered this kid? And yeah. I think they're getting better at that.
0: Uh, anybody that's interested, I do believe, I could be wrong on this, but I do believe uh, Sherman and Dennison, I think that's going to be a Fox Southwest game yep. the first Friday of the football season. The uh, the Battle of the Axe, uh, that's a, a really good tradition in, in high school football. So if you get a chance to, I think it's Mason and Wall on Thursday and then Sherman Dennison. <laughs> On Friday, if you're a uh, if you've got Fox Southwest on your cable or satellite provider, uh, Mike, anything else from the road? I know you went and saw Kamar Wheaton. I don't know where else you went, but just anything else you want to add before we close this down on 21 or 22?
1: I also went out to West Mesquite, but I think we've talked about tie in depth. Um, now I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I can say um, this is the first week I'll be able to say it. I guess I could say it next week too, since we'll record before Friday. But I will be on the road. Uh, very excited for the high school season. Um, I'm in a weird new place now in the full-time role because I didn't do a lot of Saturday games when I was part-time, and now I've got a couple Saturday games planned, and I'm trying to figure out how to work those around Texas games. But, like, I will miss the Louisiana Tech game. So Friday night, um, for anybody who's interested, I will be at Bastrop Cedar Creek versus Austin Reagan to see Alfred Collins. Is that uh,
0: at Bastrop or is that in like, Nelson Field game? It's
1: at Bastrop. Um, which I hear has a good food spread, I'm told.
0: Uh, they do. Um, I've only been to one Bastrop game uh, out at the newer stadium out on Highway 21, which uh, i very familiar with that road. Living out in my, uh, my neck of the woods in Hayes County, so I, I know what that's all about. But uh, So anyway, you've got Alfred Collins, and what else week one?
1: Uh, Saturday I will go from Austin to San Antonio, and I'm going to go see Logan Parr and O'Connor take on Steel. Um, Saturday night, first week of the season. Steele is one of my favorite programs. Jalen Jones, even though people expect me to hate him because he's an AM uh, commit, I really is one of the kids I love most. His family was awesome to me the entire process. They treat me like family whenever I see them. So I told him I'm going to catch a game in your last season, and you know happens to be that they they play Parr and O'Connor, and that made it perfect. I love the coaching staff at Steel and their program. Love going to see Logan Parso. So and making it a Saturday game a lot easier for me to get to and, and see. So really excited about week one. Then week two will be really in full swing. I can't find a Thursday night game yet in Dallas, and that's really bothering me because it seems like the first Thursday night of the season I'm going to be sitting at home, and I don't really want to do that. I'd rather be at a game, but there's just nobody playing that I really need to go see. Maybe, uh, I don't know,
0: maybe check uh, down around Austin. Maybe just head down there a day early. I don't know if there's any Thursday games in Austin or not, but sometimes if they are, they're really not the – not the kind of games. Yeah, like in that area, like Colleen ISD, they'll have some Thursday games or something like that, or maybe like Waco have a Thursday game or yeah,
1: and I think, something like that. Um, it, for those of you in the Austin area, most of this will really be a lot of the um, a lot of the Austin coverage I'm doing. So a lot of it's going to be uh, a lot of it's going to be Clint, um, our guy Clint Buckley, is going to be doing a lot of our Austin coverage. So like I won't see Lake Travis during the fall. I'll see him probably in the playoffs. I won't see Maynard. I'm going to go see Columns because I want to see him in person. Um, but uh, Clint is is going to be our guy in Austin, so he'll mostly be out at games. All right. Well, Mike, I think it's uh,
0: about time to shut it down. Any last parting shots before we go?
1: No, I mean, that's it. We appreciate all the – I appreciate all the, uh, the the great reception that we've gotten on this podcast. I appreciate everyone who listens and Everybody who reads and, and makes this stuff possible for us, it's a really cool job I get to do, and I couldn't do it without you guys. So um, thank you. I mean, I I can't tell you. If you can't hear my voice, I can't tell you how excited I am for high school football to be back. Like I got to single digits in my countdown the other day and just started tingling. So um, I'm, I'm extremely ready. Just get me through this last week.
0: Mike, thanks for letting me into your house and allowing me to use your kitchen table to record. And uh, we're going to have to shut it down because we got to get ready to go Back up 35 to Crazy Fort Worth and do this uh, this kickoff dinner rally party. I don't know what we're calling it, but uh, be with the Texas Exes of Fort Worth tonight. So we'll do that. Mike, thanks, man.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive, Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.
0: He is on Twitter at Mike Roach247. I am at on Twitter at Jeff Howe247. We are on Twitter at Horns247 for Horns247. And we are are out of time don't forget anywhere you get your podcast you can get longhorn blitz apple Podcasts, google play stitcher spotify thanks to matt butler you can get all of our archives classic shows on the longhorn blitz soundcloud page and starting next week twice a week on 149 the horn in austin hornfm.com and streaming worldwide on the horn app for the horn family for the horns 24 7 family i am jeff howe thank you so much for downloading and listening and we will catch you again on the next episode